Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Let's open our Bibles today to uh, Exodus chapter 23. We'll be reading verses 20 through 23 today. Exodus 23, look at page 77 in your pew Bibles. I ask you to please rise as we receive God's Word today. This is the Word of the Lord. Behold, He said, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings to you the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, will throw into confusion all the people against whom you have come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send the hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from you, before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will certainly be a snare to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, uh, another word from Exodus here, Lord, as we're re- receiving these words as Israel also received them. May you open our hearts. May you illuminate the truth of this text. May you help us to apply it to our lives so that we can live every life as more mature in the faith. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. Speaking of God's sightings, the evangelist Billy Graham, you may have heard of him, uh, famously shared this one story. He said, I he had talked to this missionary couple named the Patents, and the Patents had gone off to a small island nation in the Pacific, and there they were reaching out to a tribe that had never been contacted before, never heard of the gospel. And, but it was a hard go, uh, Billy Graham said. This missionary couple, they knew that they were very unwanted there, and in fact, the tribe was incredibly hostile to them and their presence after a while. They had a little hut on the outskirts of the village. And one night, a couple looked out, and they saw by torchlight that a number of the natives had armed themselves and were starting to converge on the hut. 
And they said they knew at that point there was just no escape. There was no way, nowhere to run. There was nobody to call for help. So the husband and wife, they said they fell to their knees. They started praying. And they expected to be in heaven before the night was over. But lo and behold, nothing happened. The attack never came. They went on with their lives. Later on, the tribe's chief became a Christian. A number of people had become Christians by then. And so at that point, John, the, John Patton felt like it was a good time to sit down with the chief and say, hey, by the way, what happened that night? We were sure you were coming to kill us. And the chief said, oh yes, yes, we were going to kill you. But you see, we couldn't get near your home because of all the men. And John said, what, what men? It was just me and my wife. The chief said, oh no, no, no. There were there's a hundred men in shining clothes holding swords, and we couldn't get anywhere near you on that night. I always found it of great comfort, the thought that God might love me so much and might love you so much, that in our times of great duress, and even smaller times in our life, He might assign a guardian angel to our lives. And some of us have grown up with our parents saying a guardian angel is always watching over you, that God assigns somebody. I don't know if I believe that God has always has a permanent guardian angel, that each one of us has one, or if he just assigns one in a time of great need. But I do know that Psalm 91 tells us that God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And that is just one of his many ways that God blesses us and protects us. So another way that God actually functions as a linebacker, somebody who goes before us so that when we're going through our life and through the hardships that are before us, through the suffering, through the challenges, through the trials, that we already have God kind of plowing the worst of the worst out of the way so that we can follow in his wake and make it through. We don't believe in a God here in this church who is distant, a God who is disconnected from our lives, a God who, boy, he kind of wishes that he could do something, but he really can't. We believe in a God who is intimately involved in the life of the Christian. And part of that is that God will always go before us. And we need to hear that. I think we really need to hear that. Some of us, maybe a little bit more than others this morning, that we need to, to know that God is there, not just by our side, but also in front of us. Because if we didn't know that, at some point in our life, our courage would fail. We would falter in our mission to bringing the gospel to the people who need to hear it. We would say, this is too tough, too hard. I might as well throw in the towel, give up, and give in. Well, I'll tell you another people who needed to hear this message was Israel. Because right then, they were in the middle of the wilderness. They felt so vulnerable. And in this moment of vulnerability, God came to them and said, by the way, I have an amazingly hard mission for you. You need to go into this country that I'm leading you to, and you need to conquer it. You're going to need to wipe out fortified city after fortified city and just kick all these people out. Imagine how they felt. They didn't have walls around them. Every day they camped in little tents. The barbarians came in. What, what hope did they have? They didn't have a standing army. They didn't have walls around them, trenches around them. They didn't have a land. They didn't have a home. Now God was expecting them to go and conquer a nation. And really the only thing that kept them going one foot after the other, kept moving forward, was that God promised them, I will go before you. 
Because if that God didn't say that, I don't think they would have budged from that place at all. When we head into a scary situation, I think there's nothing more terrifying than when we say, I have to do it alone. We want somebody there with us, right? I go into, when I was a kid and I went into the doctors and I had to get a shot, I wanted to hold my mom's hand. I needed, I needed to know that somebody was with me. It can be a huge relief when somebody just says, listen, I can't take this hard situation away from you, but I can be there with you. I can be there with you. I probably have told you this, but in a slightly, slightly strange coincidence, my wife and I, when we got married in 2005, ended up honeymooning in Niagara Falls. Never knew that this is where we would end up coming uh, later in our life. But during that week, we actually stayed on the Canadian side, haven't been back over there in a while. And we did all those touristy things that are over there. We'd done those Clifton Street and all that. Ripley's Believe It or Not. But one day we were walking along, and at the end of the street, we saw a big sign saying, Nightmares Fear Factory. Come in if you dare. Has anybody done Nightmares Fear Factory? All right, I'm seeing a few hands. Did you chicken out? They pride themselves on terrifying you so much that you will, you will chicken out, and they actually have a scoreboard that they count the number of people who have not made it. Now, I, I don't want to really, really puff myself up this morning, but we made it. I don't think we would have made it if it wasn't for the two of us, though. And let me tell you, as a newly minted husband, I found out really quickly that my job was to be a human shield. And so I went in front of my wife, who was grabbing on to the back of my shirt, probably head down, eyes clenched shut. And I know this because they take a picture of you halfway through. And I was the one who had to go before her. And so I was the one, if something was to leap out and eat us, I would be the one being in the digestive system first. Maybe she was hoping I was, would fight them off or whatever. But we made it all the way through because we had each other. And she had me going before her. So when God starts to deliver this encouraging talk, in, in Exodus 23, and again, this is a, a, long, a part of a long series of instructions and talks and laws, and now he's kind of giving them this blueprint of their future, of going into this land of Canaan and claiming the promised land. He knows full well that they're going to start balking at this idea. The more they think about it, how tremendously difficult it will be to go into a fortified pagan land and kick these people out to reclaim, to claim what God has established for them. So as he's doing that, he tells them the good news. He says, you won't have to do it alone. And now here's the better news. God says, I will now send an angel before you to clear your way, to guard you. Now I want us to know something. I want us to pause. God does not say, you don't have to go into the scary place. You still have to go, he tells them. You don't have to go, yes, you have to go, you, there's going to be hardship, you're still going to have to pick up spears, you're still going to have to pick up your slings, you're still going to have to fight, but I will go before you. And that really makes all the difference. He's not giving these people permission to chicken out. They don't get a chicken out of the Nightmares Fear Factory, they don't get a chicken out of Canaan. But God says, I will go before you. Know that for every step you take, the angel, my angel, is two steps ahead of you. That's what will keep you going. I don't know about you, but there are days, if we're honest about this, there are days I think all of us wish we could chicken out of this life. Days that we go, this is just too hard. What I'm facing right now 
There's too much grief. There's too much hardship. There's just this thing in front of me. I can't even picture how I'm going to get over it or through it. I just kind of want to chicken out of it. I want to get out. I want to, if there's an ejection cord, I want to hit that and get out of this life, this broken world, a world that is so full of sin and hardship and terror and sadness. In those days, God says, no, I am not giving you permission to chicken out, but I will go before you. I will go before you because you have a mission to accomplish. And we need to hear that. We need to hear Psalm 34, 7, as it reminds us that an angel of the Lord encamps around all of those who fear Him, and that angel delivers them. Encamps around. There's that shield metaphor. Having somebody guard you all around. When I was a little kid, I used to scoot over on my bed when I slept at night because I was scared of the dark. And I would scoot over because I made room for my guardian angel. And I would just feel more comforted by the thought that God was there and camped around me. And we need to know that it's okay if you're an adult and you still are scared. I know we're not supposed to admit it, but we are. We are scared. And we need this re-encouragement again and again that the angel of the Lord encamps around us, that God sends His grace to guard us and bring us through. If you still have your Bibles open, looking back at verse 20 here, the Lord doesn't just tell the Israelites, He doesn't say, I'm just going to guard you. But He also says, I'm going to bring you to a place I prepared for you. In a way, as I'm reading this in my head, I'm starting to think that God is treating Israel a bit like kindergartners. Like, alright guys, we're going to this place, I need you to line up single file and follow the leader. Right? You can't do anything else, you can do that. Follow the leader. And it says, okay, I've got this guy, this angel, he's going before you. Go where he goes. If he goes left, you turn left. If he goes right, you turn right. Don't go the other way. Just keep following him. I know that's probably kind of weird because statistically half of Israel at that time was guys and, you know, us and taking directions and all that. But, you know, when you don't know the way to go, you swallow your pride. You follow the one who does know the where to go. I mean, look at Lewis and Clark, two men who were tasked. Talk about insurmountable challenges. Go and map out the rest of this continent. You know, go do that. Before GPS, Google Maps, drones, all this. Just go hike across a continent and map it out. And these two guys are like, well, okay, what do we do? We've never done this before. So they kept enlisting help of people who live there. You know the way. Show us the way. They got Sacagawea, number of other natives. And he said, help us know where to go. I mean, can you imagine finally getting to the Rockies for the first time? <laughs> and going, oh yeah, we got to go over that. How do we get through all of that? They knew the way, so Lewis and Clark followed. Brothers and sisters, God knows the way. He knows the exact path through our lives. He knows the exact path right into glory. He knows how to lead you there. And if you are willing to listen to His Word in Scripture, listen to Him speaking to you through prayer, through worship, through the encouragement of other believers, He will guide you. But you've got to listen and you've got to follow. Now here's where things get a little strange in our text today. Verses 21 and 22. God has told the Israelites, He said, I've sent an angel before you. But, there's a big but here. He says, okay, well... 
I'm going to give you a couple of commands concerning this being that's going before you. God says, one, you are to pay close attention to everything he says and does. Bend your attention upon him. All right, first thing. Second, you must absolutely obey him when he gives you instructions. And third, you are forbidden to rebel against him. Now, we can certainly interpret this passage. I won't fight you on it. If you say, okay, well, God's saying this is my angel. My angel's going before him. You know, be nice to this guy. He's got a big job. Obey him, follow him. If you truly think this is an angel, this is how you interpret the passage, that's fine. But I think there's something a little bit more going on here. And a number of other biblical scholars think so as well. You see, when we encounter the word angel, and probably a lot of you know this, the word angel really just means messenger. And a lot of times the Bible will use the word messenger to apply to these heavenly creations that God has made and that have come down to serve him and to serve us. You know, we think of the, the angels. But it can also refer to other beings. And in this case, I think that's what's happening that this could be a case where this messenger is not actually referring to an angel at all. God's not sending an angel, you ask, and what else is he sending? Who else could he send? Well, we're given two very loaded clues. Again, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 21, because they're right there, and I want you to be able to believe your own eyes and not just believe what I'm saying. The first clue he gives us, God says, this messenger has the power to forgive sins has the power to forgive sins. Because, the text says, if the people rebel against him, he can withhold that forgiveness. That's really curious, isn't it? The second clue is that God says, kind of cryptically to our ears, he says, my name is in him. My name is in him. So that leads, you got these two clues, that he has the power to forgive sins, and God's name is in this being. And so some scholars, some people interpret this, and myself included, that this is not an angel, but rather this is a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, the Son. That God the Father is sending God the Son to go before the people. His name is in him, and he has this power. Remember what the Pharisees said in Mark 2? Jesus says, I forgive this man's sins when the paralyzed man was before them. And the Pharisee says, who can forgive sins except God alone? Well, you have to apply that same question to this angel. Who can forgive sins? Angels cannot forgive sins, and they cannot withhold forgiveness of sins. Well, I'll tell you who can forgive sins. And his name is Jesus Christ. His name is in him, God says. And the text tells us that this being is acting and speaking for God, has the full authority and might of God, So if you rebel against him, you are rebelling against God. And again, we're not going to fight about this. If if you believe that this is the appearance of the Son, or you just believe that this is an angel, we can come together and just agree that God said his authority is in this being. And that this being has a great charge to guard the people, to guide the people. And so when this being commands the people, they are to listen and obey. Listen and obey. Do we listen and obey God? I think a lot of times we go, yeah, sure, um, you know, when it's convenient. When the Bible's open, I'm like, oh, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. What about when God tells you something that goes against something you want to do? Or when it's hard? 
or when you've got two fingers in your ears and you're going la, 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 as loud as you possibly can because God just told you something you know is going to force you to change your life's habits. Do we listen and do we obey? Do we listen to that quiet voice in our heart when God says, go reach out to that person? You're like, oh God, I'd rather not. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be one of those you know, tricky social situations. You know, as I don't really like that person so much, whatever. God says, no, listen to me and obey me. Give this up in your life. God, I'd rather not. I really like that thing in my life. God says, do you want to follow me? Here's how you do it. If, God, if Christ is to be our protector and our guide, what good will it do us to ignore him and do what we want instead? Maybe you've heard of the Witness Protection Program. Uh, I've heard of it. I've kind of been actually pretty fascinated with it. Did you know it's actually run by the U.S. Marshals? That's that's their department. It's not run by the FBI or anything. But if you've heard of the Witness Protection Program, you know that it's there to guard people that are key witnesses in trials, maybe for the mob or other high-profile cases, where somebody, if they testify in this trial, they know that them and their family are at increased risk of intimidation or maybe even being murdered. So they put them in witness protection. They change their identities. They move them out to Arizona or somewhere. They give them a new life. They start them over so that they can't be contacted. Now, the, wit- the marshals say that to date, since they started this program back in the 70s, they have not lost a single person who has listened and obeyed their instructions. Now, that's, that's where your big asterisk is because there are some people who didn't. One guy who didn't listen and obey was Daniel Lapola. He was a guy who was part of the mob for a while, testified against him. They relocated him, gave him a new identity. Well, Daniel thought it would be a cracking idea that when a friend died, he said, well, it's probably okay for me to go home to his funeral against the marshal's instructions. And while he was there, he thought, well, I should go see my old house. And he found out in the last second of his life, as he turned the doorknob and the door exploded, that you know, he should have listened to the advice of the people that were sent to protect him. But rather, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. So we learn from this that we listen to Christ for our blessing, but we ignore him to our peril. And really, it's as simple as that. We might say, well, that's almost too simple. Yes, but how often do we do that? We think, we know better. I can lead my life better than God can. I don't really have to listen to all these commands that God's giving me. I'm just going to be selective. I'm going to cherry pick the ones that I feel like they already suit my life as it is. And God says, well, you're either going to obey his voice because my name is in him, or you're going to do your own thing. We'll see which one blows up in your face. And finally, as God is telling them all this, I can imagine that even through this pep talk, the Israelites are still looking at their makeshift weapons. You know, they got, they got a stick where they maybe duct taped a, a knife on the end. That's their spear, right? They, they, made a, they pick up a little hunk of metal, and that's their, their uh, what am I thinking of? Shield, thank you. Their shield. They're looking at these makeshift weapons and going, well, but God, how are we possibly going to go in and accomplish this incredibly hard task of conquering this country, of conquering uh, Canaan? And there in verse 27, God gives him the final word of encouragement. When he says, not only am I going to go before you, but guess what, guys? You don't even have to do the bulk of the fighting. 
I will do the fighting for you. You guys are the cleanup crew. You're going to go in and mop up afterwards. Because in verse 27, God says, I will go before you. I will strike terror into their hearts. I will send out hornets, fear. I will blast them with so much confusion, so much fear, so much anxiety, that by the time you guys get there, you're going to find deserted houses. You're going to find walls that are already, the gates are already open. Most of these hard fights are going to be over before you even set a foot on the battlefield. And we know this is true. We know this actually happened because the prostitute Rahab in Joshua 2 testified to this. Remember when the spies go in and Rahab says, I know the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has already fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. She knows this. She's been living in a town where she has seen people and they, don't, they can't explain it, why they're, they're this terrified, why so much anxiety is in their hearts, why they hear this news that this roaming mob coming toward them and it just strikes terror to the root of their being and all they want to do is flee. They don't know why that is, but Rahab does because God has gone before them and already started to fight on their behalf. I think it's also really notable as a kind of parenthetical little rabbit trail here that God tells them this won't be done, this whole fight won't be done in a year. It won't be done instantly. God could have pushed them out of Canaan right away. But he says, if I did that, it would actually work against you because if you guys won't be able to inherit this whole land to take charge of it very quickly. So the whole land will, it will fall into ruin, the beasts will multiply, it will be even harder in the long run. So God says, listen, as I do this, as I go before you, I will do it little by little. Little by little. We will make progress, but it won't be a lot at once. It'll be little by little. I find this notable because this is often how God works in our lives. Do you become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ overnight or little by little? Does God work in you to do amazing things all at once? Sometimes, but often... Our work in this world for Jesus Christ is little by little. It takes place over years, if not decades. How many people do you pray for over and over and over again until God finally gives you a result, an answer to that prayer? Little by little does faith come into people's lives. We do not claim habit or victory over our sinful habits overnight. We often have to fight that fight little by little, and God helps us get out of that sinful pattern. It takes time for the purposes of God to be worked out. I think this is a good reminder that we need to have patience, not demand that God suddenly give us Canaan right away, but rather trust him that little by little it will happen. In fact, the conquest of Canaan took a very long time. It didn't just happen in the book of Joshua. It kept on going. In fact, did you know who was king by the time Canaan was finally fully conquered? King Solomon. 1 Kings 4, that's how long it took for this conquest of Canaan to fully culminate. But God, in his good time and in his good wisdom, gave it to them in the measure that they were able to handle it. So brothers and sisters, when we are frightened of what's before us, we are daunted by the task that God has set in front of us. We need to remember that we have a Savior who goes before us, who guards us, who guides us, and who fights for us. 
We are the mop-up crew. We, are, we got the easy end of all of this, really, in the end. And so we remember, we encourage each other, as Ephesians 6 says, be strong, be, I'm sorry, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We are not strong in our might. Our might is not that strong. We are strong in the might of the Lord, and so was Israel. So let's encourage each other and let's go out today knowing that we go in the strength of the Lord God Almighty and nothing can get in the way between God and His purposes being accomplished. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise Your name. We praise You how You know how incredibly weak we are. You know how we tremble when we face challenges in our lives. How depression and sadness Anxiety can really settle into us. And Lord, on days like that, we need to hear this. We need to hear this message that Israel needed to hear. Lord, you are our strength. You are there for us. That we can rest in you, knowing that you can accomplish the victory. And Lord, we can just ride your coattails all the way there. We thank you and we praise you that you are mightier than us, that you are wiser, you are more good. You are more compassionate, more loving. Lord, we'll never come to the end of the ways that we can praise you. And one day we will look back on our life and you will show us how you worked to clear the way, how you worked to go before us. And on that day, Lord, we'll just look back at you and say, thank you, God. Thank you so much. I couldn't have done it by my own. In your name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, Email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.